Hey everyone, this is Eric from Dungeons and & Tangents, and this is episode 2 of Knowledge History D&D. Last episode, I covered the creation of chess, the wargame Kriegspiel, and the development of the Napoleonic wargaming community. That episode encompassed 1,400 years of gaming history. This episode, I'm going to slow down quite a bit and cover only 14 years. The 14 years that led the creators of Dungeons & Dragons into their places on the board of the game of history. This is Knowledge History D&D, Episode 2, Setting Up the Pieces. Part 1, Lake Geneva by Norman Rockwell. Once upon a time in Wisconsin, there was a boy named Gary with a friend named Don. Gary Gygax and Don Kay lived in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin in the late 40s. They met when they were six years old. Lake Geneva was a small Midwestern town. It sat 50 miles southwest of Milwaukee and 80 miles northwest of Chicago. It was, and still is, a summer retreat town for the wealthy of Chicago. Don and Gary played cops and robbers around Lake Geneva. They'd gather other kids for adventures in the woods on the outskirts of town. Sometimes they'd sneak into the abandoned insane asylum near where they lived. Don and Gary were best friends. At age 15, Gary and Don's friendship was forever solidified when they discovered miniature war games together. It was 1953 and the miniature wargaming community was in its adolescence. Gary and Don were at the forefront and somewhat young for the hobby. They collected miniatures, they coaxed their friends into playing, and they wrote their own house rules. Gary augmented his passion for games with a passion for reading. He read massive amounts of pulp fiction, periodicals like Weird Tales and Startling Stories, novels like Conan the Barbarian, and the works of H.P. Lovecraft. This was Gary Gygax's simple and happy existence during his early years a Norman Rockwell-like picture of Middle American life. And Lake Geneva was an ideal town for it, a beautifully lush environment that looked out over a quiet lake. But life changed drastically for Gary. As he entered high school, his father, Ernest Gygax, was battling cancer. More and more, the stress of a bedridden parent led Gary to escape. He did so through his fantasy literature and playing games. These factors inevitably led to faltering grades. In January 1956, Ernest Gygax passed away. In the months that followed, Gary dropped out of high school. Soon after, he enlisted in the Marines, but was discharged for medical reasons. When Gary returned from his stint in the Marines, he and Mary Jo Powell were married. They'd known each other since childhood. Mary Jo had followed Gary and Dawn on adventures through Lake Geneva. And getting married just seemed like the logical next step. Gary got a job with an insurance company and they settled down into what could have been a normal suburban life. Unfortunately for Mary Jo, Gary had another love in his life. He had become absolutely obsessed with the Avalon Hill game Gettysburg. Gettysburg was a board game. It was much like the Napoleonic War Games, but it was set in the Civil War. 
An advertisement for the game described it as follows. The turning point of the Civil War. Refought with you in command. All the original troops and fighting units take part. Maneuvered by you over an authentic map board of the classic battlefield. Your skills, your daring, can reverse the course of history. Includes giant 22-inch by 28-inch map board. Troop counters, all accessories, and instructions for two players or teams, ages 12 through adult. Playtime, two to four hours. Gary had a wargaming habit, and Gettysburg was at the center of it. He would go to friends' houses on a weekly basis, sometimes more often. Mary Jo began to question the situation. She was convinced Gary was having an affair. On a Saturday night in 1961, she stormed over to one of his friend's houses. She was sure she would find him with another woman. Instead, she found Gary in the basement with three friends in Gettysburg. From then on, Gary and his friends played at his house. Gary's early story is a bit tragic. I wonder, though, if he would have created D&D without the exact set of circumstances that he experienced in his youth. He talks about those Mark Twain-style adventures with Don Kay and the other kids in his neighborhood. And when he was dealing with his father's sickness, he became so reclusive and interested in only games and novels. I genuinely wonder if those circumstances were what were the building blocks for the creation of D&D. Part two, Brownstein to Blackmore. At the same time, in the distant land of St. Paul, Minnesota, another miniature wargamer by the name of Dave Arneson was also obsessed with Avalon Hills Gettysburg. While he was still in high school, Arneson joined a local wargamers group called the Midwest Military Simulations Association. In this group, Dave Arneson met David Wesley. David Wesley regularly enjoyed modifying the rules of games, and in 1967, he started an experimental game he called Bronstein. Bronstein was an imaginary German town set in the Napoleonic era. While most contemporary war games didn't require a referee, in Bronstein, Wesley would arbitrate the rules to ensure things went smoothly. Because he was interested in seeing more than two players in a game, Wesley would assign non-military roles and non-military objectives. In the town of Bronstein, you could be the mayor, or a banker, or a university chancellor. This took gameplay in a direction that required new rules. Rules Wesley hadn't taken time to write. Instead, he would improvise rules on the fly as necessary. Dave Wesley believed that the experiment was a failure. In his eyes, the game was too chaotic. But the other gamers in St. Paul enthusiastically loved the experiment. They begged him to run it again and again. Among the people who played Bronstein was Dave Arneson. Arneson loved the idea so much that he was soon running his own Bronstein. Then, in 1970, Dave Wesley joined the army. In his absence, Arneson became the expert in Bronstein. Arneson soon adapted the game for a medieval setting. He included mythical creatures and integrated elements of The Lord of the Rings and the TV show Dark Shadows. He called this setting Blackmore, and that became the name of his medieval Bronstein.
seems like between 1950 and 1970, the wargaming community was just stuck on all things Napoleonic. There was some amount of World War I and World War II games, but next to nothing medieval until 67 or so. I feel like I missed something in my research, because it's just baffling why the wargaming community didn't gravitate toward medieval gaming. I grew up in a world that already had D&D, so I know my opinion is totally biased. But I always thought medieval movies, novels, and games were just so cool. It was an era of chivalry, of romance, and really bad plumbing. But from a gaming point of view, it was a time when power struggles were fought with your bare hands, not guns and airplanes and technology. So I would assume the gaming community would gravitate toward that, something more tactile. Still, once the idea of medieval gaming started in the wargaming community, it grew quickly. It just needed a little push. In 1967, as Arneson and Wesley were playing Bronstein, Gary was helping build the Midwest's gaming community. He was a founding member of IFW, the International Federation of Wargaming. This was a group of gamers who communicated mostly through fan-written magazines or fanzines. They would help each other share rules and find groups to play with. From behind his typewriter in his home office, Gary wrote multiple columns in the IFW's periodical Spartan as well as Avalon Hill's periodical, General. Additionally, he wrote for the fanzines Panzerfaust, Tactics and Variants, and Canadian Wargamer. Through his writing, and perhaps because he was older than most in the hobby, Gary was emerging as a key player in the Midwest wargaming community. Gary was 29 in 1967, and while all of this was happening, the Gygax family was growing. In all, Mary Jo and Gary had five children, Ernest, Lucian, Heidi, Cindy, and Elise. The growing family was often strapped for cash, and while Mary Jo worked hard to make every dollar count, Gary had a penchant for spontaneous splurging. This tendency was often at odds with the needs of the family. Gary was a good father, but still spent more of his free time focused on his passions. In the months following the formation of the IFW, the group had a number of meetings, one such meeting was an informal gathering at Gary's house. Twenty members of the IFW attended. They played marathon sessions of war games all day and all night. Encouraged by the growth of the gaming community, the IFW agreed to hold their first public convention. They scheduled it for August of 1968, and Gary spearheaded the endeavor. The Lake Geneva Horticultural Center was selected as the venue, and Gary paid 15 of the $50 required to rent the space. For perspective, $15 in 1968 equates to around $100 in 2017. Not a lot, but enough to make a difference in a struggling home. The event was called Lake Geneva Convention, or Gen Con. The first Gen Con was packed with wargamers. They gathered to play games dedicated to World War I dogfights, naval combat, World War II tank games, and of course, Napoleonic games. The entire venue, from the grand hall to the patios to the courtyard lawn was covered with game setups. In all, the event drew just under 100 people from around the Midwest. A meager number compared to the modern convention, but a massive success in the eyes of Gary Gygax and his peers at the IFW. 
One particular game caught Gary's attention during the event, a game called Siege of Bordenburg, which included a miniature castle and the soldiers. This sparked Gary's interest in medieval miniature wargaming, an interest that he would keep coming back to over the following years. Conveniently, the Lake Geneva Horticultural Center was only a few blocks from Gary's house. After the convention officially ended, he invited gamers back to his place, and they continued playing until dawn. Before everyone packed up and headed home, they were already planning the next Gen Con. In reading about the early gaming community, I'm a bit surprised by how very small and intimate it was. It reminds me of my time living in a small town in New Zealand. I could name everybody who played the games that I played in town. And I expect Gary knew everyone who played war games in Lake Geneva and the surrounding areas. In contrast, Gen Con 2017, the 50th Gen Con, was estimated to have between 75,000 and 80,000 attendees. Obviously, gaming culture isn't just miniature wargaming anymore, and it's not just Napoleonic wargaming anymore. It includes video games, comic books, movies, TVs, podcasts, celebrities from all of those genres. It's a very different world from what it was when Gary started Gen Con. It's kind of hard to wrap my head around the fact that 100 kids in a small town community center would pave the way for such a major change in our culture. Next time on Knowledge History D&D. Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson meet for the first time. Gary publishes his first successful game, and Arneson opens Gary's mind to a new way of playing games. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about our sources, the music in this episode, or the history of D&D, go to dungeonsandtangents.net. Script for this episode by Eric Dewhurst. Titles by Jen Kunrath. Special thanks to Robert Sherman for staying out of the way.